Good morning, LifePoint. How's everybody doing today? So good to have you here to worship the Lord with us this morning. Hey, if you're new and visiting, whether you're here in person or watching online, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, I say this often, but church is all about relationships, a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. And so we would love to get you on track with that. And so if you text that word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314, for all the prompts, we'd love to get you uh, started in that direction to get to know you a little bit more than just a Sunday experience, right? Church is more than just a Sunday thing. Uh, it is throughout the week, our relationships with each other. And so that is an easy, easy way to start uh, with that. But hey, happy Father's Day. Somebody said to me in the first service, no, no Father's Day video. We had a Mother's Day video. Why not a Father's Day video? No Father's Day video, right? But here's what you get. You get the meat, right? You, you, get, you get brats from Pioneer, Pioneer Meats, right? We have the meats. We are, we are not Arby's, but we have Pioneer uh, brats for you this morning. Uh, so, hey, dads, uh, help yourself to that. Even if you're not a dad this morning, help yourself. Take a package of brats. Uh, I think there's some cat and grizz brats left. And so if you're into that rivalry, hopefully there's no fist fights in the foyer, you know, uh, today over, uh, over that issue. But our way of saying uh, Happy Father's Day, we appreciate you, we love you, and we just want to bless you uh, for, uh, for Father's Day. If you have a Bible, go to James chapter 4 this morning. If you don't have the scriptures, we will have them up on the screen for you to follow along as we always do. But as you're turning there, I want you to think about this. What would my life be like if I had less conflict? I want you to imagine your life, think about your life, think about your week, think about your family, think about your work. If you had less conflict, I don't know if you've thought about that recently. What if you had less conflict in your marriage, right? What if you had less conflict with your kids, less conflict with your boss, with your coworkers? What if you had less conflict with other Christians? Oh, that doesn't happen, right? Conflict in the church, right? Conflict's a reality that we all face. I mean, no one can escape the reality of conflict. In fact, when it comes to conflict, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because conflict's a reality for every single Christian here this morning. But what if you had less conflict? What would your life be like if that were your reality? Well, James has something to say about conflict today. In James chapter number four, this is gonna be very practical, very helpful, very pointed, and very piercing, I would say, to our hearts because it's hard to, to hear the truth sometimes. But James is gonna to speak to this issue. Like, how do we deal with conflict biblically? Like, what do we do with it? How do we handle conflict? But I want you to know this morning, if you're a dad today, speak to dads just a little bit, Dads, we're kind of like conflict managers in the homes, right? Like what we, we manage conflict. Often we manage conflict in the area of resolving the conflict of broken items and appliances in our home. Do we not, right? Uh, broken toasters, right? Raise your hand if you have the same toaster since you got married. Raise your hand. So we're like, oh, we just got married last week, so it's working still, right? Uh, we, my, my wife and I, we've been married for 24 years. We have the same toaster. The thing won't die. The kids are like, can we please get a new toaster? One that puts four in it and not just two? They're like, nope, we have to use this toaster, right? But when they break, we fix it. That's kind of what dads do, right? Car breaks, we fix it. You know, the appliances break, we fix it. But let me remind you this morning that we are designed to mitigate conflict, even conflict in our relationships. And I just wanna like bring that to the front of your heart as a dad this morning, that we have this role and this responsibility as dads to mitigate not just the broken appliances in our lives, but the broken relationships. And that if we would learn today to deal with conflict biblically, oh boy, it would change so much in our lives. 
It would change how we deal with conflict. It would change our marriage. It could change our relationships in so many different ways. And that's really the goal today, learning to deal with conflict. Learning to deal with conflict. Well, we left off last time. James is talking about wisdom. And Pastor Adam brought us through that idea of wisdom. And James poses this question that's so important to ask. Is there anyone wise in understanding among you? Right? And the fact that James has to ask that question implies this. Not many people have wisdom. Not many people have godly wisdom. I mean, James is even writing this letter to Christians. He's like, hey, who among you Christians has godly wisdom? And and so the truth is not everyone has that, but everyone needs it. Wisdom from above. And we certainly need wisdom, not just in in, uh, areas of our life for financial reasons or, or, or what job or what career or what path to take in those areas. We need wisdom in our relationships. How do we handle marriage? How do we handle our kids? How do we handle grandkids? How do we handle the challenges at work and the conflict that will arise? How do we handle these things? We need wisdom, of course, right? Uh, and, And so listen, conflict is just a reality for every single one of us. But the problem is this, we don't know how to deal with it. Like, if we're honest this morning, we would say this, like, yes, I deal with conflict. And, and I would say probably every single person in this room today has some form, some aspect, some level of conflict going on in your life right now. Like, you know what it feels like to be in conflict with another person, right? But the problem is this, we just don't know how to deal with it. How do I deal with conflict? Isn't that true? And here's simply what we do as human beings with conflict. What do we do? We walk away. Right, I've never met a person who said, oh man, I love conflict, it's so good, let's stir the pot, let's get some anger going here, I want a good fight. Nobody likes conflict. And so what do we do as human beings? We walk away, because I don't want conflict. And we ignore it, we don't want to deal with it, and so we walk away, we walk out of people's lives, right? And we walk away often angry, bitter, and jaded because of that conflict. And that is not a biblical way uh, to, to handle the conflict in our lives. And I can tell you, listen, with a lot of confidence, that the majority of the conflict that I've been involved with in the church and experience in the church in, in the past two decades has not been dealt with in a biblical way. Like, oh, why is that? Yeah, I mean, is it because we don't have truth? Is it because like we don't have the information, the knowledge that like the Bible is like somehow silent about conflict, like how to deal with it? That's not why. That's not why. The reason is that we want our method. And, and our method is to react. Our method is to get angry. Our method is to get vengeance. Our method is driven by our pride and our greed and our passions. And I want to remind all of us this morning that that's just human nature. And every single one of us, including this person on stage, we have those tendencies. And so James is going to be really pointed and say, like, you need a different kind of wisdom. And I just want to kind of go back to chapter three for a moment, because this is what he's talking about, this wisdom that impacts relationships. And then chapter four, he's going to give us some some really good insight to find what is the origin, what is the source and how to deal with it. But notice in verse 14 of chapter three, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, like if you live life, as a jealous, uh, covetous kind of person, a person who's just living for themselves, their own selfish ambition, their own selfish desires, you're going to have trouble, right? Notice what he says. Do not, he says, do not boast and be false to the truth. Essentially, he's saying this, like, don't, don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself into believing that it's okay to live that kind of selfish, jealous life. That's not okay. 
Because what happens is this, in verses 15 through 16, he says, this this is not wisdom that comes down from above. That's not godly wisdom. That's that's earthly wisdom. He said it's earthly, it's unspiritual. And notice this, he even says it's demonic wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James really raises the bar and the need for what? Wisdom in relationships. Why? Because we deal with conflict, right? And if we, if we don't have this godly wisdom in order to deal with a conflict in life, listen, it's going to cause disorder. It's going to cause conflict. It's going to cause what James says in verse 16, every vile practice. And guess where that comes? From within. From us, James says. And so we desperately need wisdom in life, right? But especially when it comes to our relationships. And I want you to know, that's what chapter four is all about. As we begin to look into chapter four, this is what chapter four is all about. James is moving from this idea of wisdom and we need godly wisdom to the application of wisdom that is fleshed out in the day day in and day out relationships of life. And so we're gonna try to answer some of these questions. How do we deal with conflict? How do we deal with a conflict that we face so often in life? And what is the source of it? What is the source? Where does it find its origin, this conflict, these fights that we so often face? How do we ensure that we have wisdom to navigate the conflict in relationships. Those are some questions we're going to seek to answer this morning. But let's check out chapter four. We're going to read the first six verses, and then we're going to get some principles. We're going to find the origin of our quarrels, of our conflict, and then we're going to get some insight in how do we handle this and what do we do as Christians. Notice it with me in verse number one. Uh, James chapter three poses a question. Who is wise and who is understanding among you? Chapter four, verse one, starts out with a question as well. And notice what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And he gives us the answer like right out of the gate. Is it not this? And I want you to circle every time you hear, you see the word you or your. He says, it's your passions that are war within you. You desire and you do not have. So you murder You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he, God, yearns jealously over the spirit, the Holy Spirit that has been been made to dwell in us but he gives more grace, amen? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Before we get too far into this this morning, I just wanna remind you, why are we in James? Why is James writing this letter to this dispersed group of Christians? What is his point? What is the reality? What is the main thing that he wants us to, to take away from this book? And it's this, your spiritual maturity. See, James is like, it's not okay to not grow It's not okay to be a baby Christian. It's not okay to just be like, this is enough. No, I want you to mature. Right, right, and, and, and how, we, how we find where we're at. James talks about these ideas that we've been through in chapter one, two, and three. This idea of trials are the indicator to show us our spiritual maturity. The temptations that we face in life are indicators to show us where are we at when it comes to our spiritual growth. And today, conflict, conflict becomes another indicator. How do I manage conflict? Listen, how you manage conflict will show your level of spiritual maturity. 
I mean, that, 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 that is the truth this morning. But this, everything points back to this truth, spiritual maturity. And so James wants us to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, am I spiritually mature? Right, like he's, he's, he's a guy who's holding the mirror up and saying, hey, are you spiritually mature? And if you cannot answer that question with some level of confidence, at least saying, I'm trending in that direction, I'm moving in that direction, then you need to check the trials, the temptations, the conflict and say, how am I managing these things? Because again, they're indicators. But let me remind you, James knows, God knows, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, including this person on stage. We're not perfect, but are we in the habit of moving in that direction to say, I want to move from this place to, to where God wants me? Do you have that heart? Do you have that desire? Do you have that habit? That's what we're looking for today. Well, James forces us to ponder this question, right? To ask this question, and this question is gonna really help us get on that path to spiritual maturity. Am I trending in this direction? How we handle the conflict in our lives. And so we ask the question, what causes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What's the cause of the conflict, right? What's, what's the source of the conflict that I'm facing right now? That's not a question we typically ask, is it, right? But, but here's why that question is so very important. And, and that leads us into our bottom line this morning. And that is this, if you don't know what causes your conflict, you'll never resolve your conflict, Right? If you don't know the origin, the source of the conflict that you're facing in life, you'll never resolve it. We just kind of go in circles. And then there's a lot of us in this room that know what that's like. Why do, I, why do we keep going back to this? Why do we keep circling? It's because we're dealing with the peripheral issues of conflict and we're really not hitting the source. We're not dealing with the origin. We don't understand the source. And so we so desperately today we need to understand what James has for us. We need to understand the source. We need to figure out where does conflict originate if we're going to deal with it biblically. And I'm going to make the assumption this morning that you're here because you want to deal with it biblically, right? You want to deal, you want to grow, you want to mature, you want to move from this place of constant conflict to a, a place where there's less conflict, or at least I'm learning to deal with conflict in a biblical way. And so this, this is something we so desperately need, and it's something... We're just not conditioned to do, is it? Who or what do we blame conflict on, typically? Who, who, who do we blame conflict on? The other person, right? It's never our fault. And we live in a society that kind of breeds this. It's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's your parents' fault. It's culture's fault. It's whoever else's fault. It's not my fault, right? And the reason we don't think biblically about this question, what causes the the quarrels, what causes the fights is because we think we know the answer, right? It's my spouse's fault. You don't know what they did. You don't understand. It's my spouse's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my friend's fault. It's anyone's fault but me. If they would just do what I want, if they would just listen to me, if they, if they, if they, we typically blame the other person for the conflict that we are experiencing. And James is going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. I want you to, instead of looking at the other person, I want you to look at you. And James is going to be very pointed and very direct this morning. He's going to ask us to consider our role first, our heart first, our passions first, and how they play a leading role in the conflicts that we so often face in life. And so we need to know what is the cause of the conflict in order to resolve the conflict. Bottom line this morning, but let me just say this, the more unresolved conflict you have in your life, the more bitter and the more angry and the more jaded person you will become. 
That is the absolute truth. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12 says in verse 14 real quick. He says, strive for peace with everyone. That's hard. Can we all agree with that? That's hard. That's not easy to be at peace with everyone. And, and he says, strive for that peace for everyone and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He said, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God in that no root of bitterness, where does the root of bitterness come from? Our conflicts, our anger, our desires, our passions, that it springs up and causes what? Trouble and by it many become defiled. Unresolved conflict, listen, leads to bitterness and bitterness, oh boy, causes trouble, period. And so we need this, don't you think? We need, we need this. We need to understand this. We need to understand the source of our conflict, bottom line today. And so what is the source? James has an answer for us. Let me warn you this morning, you're not going to like it. I don't like it. Nobody likes the answer that James is going to give us. And he's going to give us really two, two keys, two understandings. Where is the source? Where does conflict find its source, its origin? The first is this. It finds it in our own passions, our own desires, our own I want something. Verse one, he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, underline this phrase, that your passions, your passions, what are passions? Desires. I want something. I want something in life. And they are at war within you. That's the key here. James, listen, he's offering some of the best advice you'll ever, ever hear. And that is, is that we have external conflict because there's an internal conflict going on in our lives. In that external conflict, we tend to blame on other people, but he's like, hey, there's actually an internal conflict going on in your heart, in your, in your lives. You have passions and you have desires. And often those passions and desires, they just don't match up with God's. They don't match up with his desires and his will. And so what causes the quarrels in the fights? And notice the plurality of this, right? We're not talking about some fight, some issue, some you know, topic. We're talking about multiple topics. And let me remind you, this is in the, the church. These are in Christians' lives, Christian relationships. We're like, oh, say it ain't so. It could never happen in the church. Yeah, it does. It happens more often than we think. And, and so there's these quarrels and there's these fights. And James says, I want you to look at you. I don't know if this is still a thing, but it became popular in the sports culture. If you watch sports and, and uh, you would see athletes do this, like if they made a mistake and they, you know, botched a play on the court or on the field, they would do this. What were they saying? My bad, right? We're like, that was my bad, right? Uh, and, and so they're basically saying like, that was my fault. Like I did that. I take ownership of that thing. You know who Tim Hawkins is, Christian comedian? He does a funny parody on this whole my bad thing. And uh, you have to go listen to it for yourself. But he's like, when people say my bad, he's like, you're darn right, it's your bad. <laughs> like, you know, why don't we say that? But like, why don't we do that in our relationships? It's easy to do that on the court and be like, oh guys, my bad. Guys, my bad. Like I, that, that was on me. Why don't we do that in our relationships? We take ownership. We say like, you know what, that's my fault. I have passions, I have desires, and I want something, and I recognize that that is getting in the way, and that is causing this strife, and that is causing this, this, this uh, uh, conflict in our lives. We just don't do that enough. And James says, look, you ought to look inside of your own heart because your passions, your, your desires, you want something. And that something, when you don't get what you want, often causes the conflict. And so when it comes to where does it originate, where does it start? We need to look in our own hearts. 
We need to look at our own passions. We need to look at our own desires. We need to look at the things that we want that we're not getting. And so our passions, he says, is a source, but he moves a little bit further and he takes it a step further. He says, not just your passions. In verse two, he says, you desire and you do not have. You, you, you covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And the second thing is this, not only our passions, but our unfulfilled passions, our unfulfilled desires, are the things that often cause the conflict. James says, we all want something. And there's not a person in this room who says, oh, I don't want anything. <laughs> we all want something, right? And you gotta fill in the blank. Like, what is it I want in life? Some of you want peace. Some of you want titles. Some of you want positions. Some of you want financial uh, security. Some of you want whatever, like fill in the blank. There is something you want and desire in life. And often when we don't get it, James says, we go to extremes. Let me peel the layer back just a little bit more because James really gets to something that we often, we don't go to this level. We don't, we don't talk. We just like, I want this and I'm not getting it. And so I'm not happy. If I got it, I'd be happy. And everyone would just be happy around me because I'm happy. James is like, let me peel a layer back in your life. Why do you want what you want? Why do you, why do you want that? Here's why. Because we believe it's the thing that will bring us satisfaction. We believe this is the thing. If I could just have this, if my husband or my wife or my kids or my job or my, my friends or my society or my world, if they just, what I want, everything would be fine. And we buy into the lie that says, this is, this is the thing that's going to make me, make me happy in life. And James uses some pretty strong language here, doesn't he? He says, you desire and you don't have, and so what do you do? You murder. You murder. You have unfulfilled desire, and that's, there's something that you don't have you want, and we desperately need to see that in our own lives. What do I want? What, it, what is it that I want? What is it that I, uh, that I desire? And we live in a society today. It's not hard. Look around the world. There's a lot of people that have what? Unfulfilled desire. Everybody wants something, and it's not hard to see that they'll do anything to get what they want. And James is like, hey, Christian, it ought not to be so with you. It ought not to be so with us. That we don't live by the same pattern here. And, and so James says, he says, you're willing to murder for it. And obviously this, like, when you look at like the act of murder, unfulfilled desire, passions that are, that are not kept in check is what leads to the, to the actual physical act of murder. It happens all the time. But I don't think that's what James has in mind here. I don't think Christians are like murdering one another. It doesn't appear to be that way. But I think what James has in mind is what Jesus had in mind. The Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew chapter five, check it out with me real quick. Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. It's like, yeah, yeah, one of the 10 commandments. We all know that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And, and the religious people of the day were, were kind of acting upon that, that, that commandment like this, like, yeah, I don't do that. I'm good. I don't murder anybody, right? Like I, I've checked that. I'm not like that bad. I don't do that, and so I'm good. And Jesus is like, ooh, let me just take it a step further. And notice what he says in verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hellfire. It's not just the act of murder that condemns, he says, but it's this evil, murderous intent of the heart. It's murderous anger. And apparently this is what was happening amongst these Christians with their words 
in their actions, their anger and their bitterness. And I want you to know, it's not okay to leave anger unchecked or excuse it in your life. But we do, don't we? Because we say, it's not my fault, it's the other person. Where does it find its origin? Well, not in me, but in the other person, it finds its origin, but it's internal. And, and, and listen, the internal conflict within us causes external conflict as well. I want something so bad that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And so let me give you just a simple, simple, practical, maybe self-counsel kind of thing that you can do on your own. The next time you're in conflict, and you might be in conflict today, like, where do we go for lunch? You'd be like, I don't know. And the other person's like, I don't know. And you're like, 10 minutes, like an hour goes by. Where are we going for lunch? I don't know. And then you're angry, right? And you're mad and, and you're not finding the place for, for lunch. And that might happen. Hopefully it doesn't, right? Some of you are laughing. Some of you are not. You're like, don't go there, please. <laughs> like, all right, whoa, hey, sorry, right? The next time you're in conflict, here's what I want you to do is I want you, I want you to ask yourself in the midst of your conflict to say, what is it I want that I'm not getting? What is the desire of my heart in the midst of this conflict that I'm not getting? And then you gotta go one, one step further and you gotta say, is what I want holy? Is what I want holy? Is what I want what God wants in this conflict? Is what I want how God would react? Because like, listen, there are two, two very different things, our selfish desires and godly desires. Listen to what Stephen J. Cole said. He's a, a pastor and a commentator, retired pastor. He said this, the main enemy isn't the person you're in conflict with. I'm like, I want you to read that again. The, the, the main person, uh, the main enemy isn't the person you're in conflict with. Some of the best advice that my wife and I uh, have got uh, in our marriage, we've been married for 24 years this June, and uh, that's exciting, and, and we're happy for that. That's awesome, right? You can applaud, applaud for that. Yeah, 24 years, right? I just made you clap for us. That's so vain, so very vain, right? But the best advice that we got in our marriage was this. Uh, I remember uh, we were at a conference, and, and the person said this, you need to say to your spouse, you're not my enemy. You're not my enemy. Right? I don't know how many times we've been in, in, in arguments and been in a fight and, and we said those words and we were like, we just kind of like laugh, like, oh my gosh, like, you're right. You're not my enemy, right? He says, the main enemy isn't the person you're in conflict with. Notice what he says, the main enemy, and you're not going to like this, it's your own sinful, selfish flesh, and if you don't defeat it, it will destroy you. And that's what's true. Because this is where conflict finds its origin in us, our passions, our unfulfilled desires. And that's great that we know that, but what do we do with it? Where do we go from here, right? What can we do? How do we remedy this nature in us? How do we move from living a life that seeks to please self? Well, check out what James says next. He says, you desire in verse two, chapter four, verse two, you desire and you don't have, and so you murder, right? The anger, whatever happens and you covet and you cannot obtain. And so what do you do? You fight and quarrel. And then he says this, you do not have because you do not ask. I want to lean into that for just a moment. Here's a simple principle to write down. How do we remedy the selfish nature within us uh, that leads to all this conflict? James would say this, you need, number three, you need to ask God for true satisfaction. That you need to go to the right source. That you need to peel a layer back and say, God, I want satisfaction that comes from you and not my own sinful, selfish passions and desires. You have not because you ask not. Have not what? What is James talking about? What is the context here? What do we not have? He says this, our desires, right? Our desires, your, you desire and do not have. That's the context. That's what he's talking about here. Where does true satisfaction in life come from? That's really the question. 
Where does it find its origin, right? James says, as long as you think, and I think it's through fulfilling our own desires, our own passions, listen, you're going to have conflict internally and externally. But true satisfaction, listen, it, it comes from God. I know we all know this. It's not rocket science. It's not hard to understand. But so many of us, we, <clears throat> we want true satisfaction, we want it and we fight and we quarrel and we do everything we can to grasp onto this. And God's like, I actually want to give you true satisfaction, true peace, true joy, true fulfillment in life. But you need to ask. True satisfaction is in God. Whether you believe that's true or not, that's what's true, right? And so ask for it. Ask for it. But the argument kind of follows here. And, and we don't know if this was like an argument that people were having with James, like, like, you know, there was these quarrels and, and James is like, hey, ask God for satisfaction. And, and maybe someone came back and said, yeah, I've been asking God for X, Y, and Z for so long and he hasn't given it to me. Yeah, I'm asking God, but he won't give it to me. James says, you know what your problem is? You're treating God like a genie in a bottle. Rub the bottle and God will give you whatever he, whatever you want, he'll just give you whatever you want. Just ask him. Well, that's not true. James says, your problem is that, is that you're asking for the things that will only fulfill your desires rather than God's desires. James is like, hey, look, you're asking for the wrong things. And the reason that we ask for the wrong things and the reason that we, we, we seek the personal fulfillment through our own lusts and our own passions is that we're so tied to the world. And we're so tied to the world uh, in their, the world's pleasures, the world's idea of what satisfaction is. We, we so, we like, yeah, yeah, I, I love God and I, and I, I love what, what, he, what he says, but, like, but, but if I could just have this, then it would all be good. We're so tied to the world. Notice what James says here in verses four and on. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that's some pretty, pretty strong language. But here's the last thing that we'll talk about today. One more thought, one more principle, the source of conflict, where is it? Our passions, our unfulfilled desires. How do we combat that? We begin to find our satisfaction in God and living for him, walking with him, obeying him, saying, God, I need this. The satisfaction that only you can give. And then this. Lastly, if we're to truly find our satisfaction and fulfillment in God, then that implies this, and it's really basic and simple, but so necessary. We need to stop looking to the world. We need to stop looking to the world to find fulfillment and satisfaction and pleasure and purpose and joy. James, once again, he doesn't mince any words. He opens it up. You adulterous people, how dare you, <laughs> right? Right? Do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? James is talking about, first of all, spiritual adultery, not sexual adultery. Two different things. Right? The nation of Israel, and, and, and the application is to us as well, the nation of Israel was married to God. Right? They were called out. They, they were a separate nation. They were to be married in this relationship of faithfulness and covenant with God. And, and, and they, they, they committed adultery by, by, by serving other gods, by walking away from God and saying, we love the world more than we love you. And we're no different. We live in that same tension, do we not? Day in and day out, we live in the tension of desiring to love God, but yet we so love the world. And let me just define something really quick for you because we have a tendency to, to misdefine words. If that's a word, I'm not really sure, but that's what came in my head, so I said it, okay? Misdefine. Uh, uh, we, we define words in the wrong way, right? Uh, what, what does it mean, the world? What is he talking about? Loving the world. He's not talking about the earth. 
He's not talking about like, hey, don't love the earth. Don't love what God created. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the world's system. He's talking about the world's ideology. He's talking about the world's way of belief. And who's the prince of this world? Satan, of course, is the prince of this world. And he would pull the strings like a puppet and say, live for the world. Live according to the world. And James is like, you can't love the world and love God at the same time. It's just incongruent. You have to stop going back and going back and saying, oh, if I had this that the world gives, I would be happy and I would be satisfied. As long as you do that, you'll have conflict. Conflict in your heart and conflict in your relationships. And then James closes with this last thought. And and really, this is the best news. And I think the most comforting news is verse number six. He says, but he gives more grace. Amen? He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace, and grace is what we need. Amen? He gives more grace than we deserve. Grace is the unmerited favor of God that he extends to us in our brokenness, in our frailty, in our sin. God extends grace, but who does he give it to? Who does he extend it to? I want you to know he doesn't extend it to the proud. He doesn't extend it to the person who says, no, I'll find it my own way. I'll fulfill my desires. I'll fill my passions. I don't care who I step on. I don't care who it hurts. I don't care what conflict. You will not receive the kind of grace that God desires to extend, but it says he extends it to the humble. He opposes the probity, gives grace to the humble. You want less conflict in your life? You want more peace in your relationships? Let me just kind of close with this, this humbly, humbly, let me say that again, humbly, humbly recognize the source. It's in us. And then we begin to start to find our satisfaction in God. God, give me satisfaction. Give me peace. Give me purpose. Give me joy that only comes from you and help me to stop seeking it in the world today. If you don't know the causes and you won't resolve the conflict, bottom line this morning, would you stand as our worship team comes forward this morning as we get ready to close. We know the source today, thanks to James. Maybe you came here this morning, you're like, the source was my husband. The source was my wife. The source was my boss. The source, James is like, "Mm mm-mm. The source is in us. It's our own sinful flesh. It's our own passions. It's the unfulfilled desires of our heart. James says, let's go there. Let's look there. And if that's you this morning, as it's, it's many of us often in our lives, we go back to these things. Let me just remind you, you don't have to live there. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to stay in that that place in life where it's all about your desires and it's all about your passions. Listen, if you're that person, man, you need to make a shift. You need to make a shift. And you need to step in the direction that God would have you to step in. We don't have to live there, but we can find our satisfaction in and through God rather than the world. And that's God's goal for us. And so let me just remind, what could change? What could change? if you had less conflict? What could change if we began to apply these simple, don't you love the Bible? It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not hard to understand. It's sometimes hard to employ, but it starts by just saying, I'm gonna take one step in this direction. I'm gonna take one step and I'm gonna see what God does in my heart, in my life. If I take a step for him, and to see what he does. Would you be willing to maybe do that today? Dads, what could change if you led the way in this? 
because I'm a conflict, I'm a conflict manager. And I'm going to lead the way and I'm going to lead in a more biblical, healthy model. Not so that I get glory as a dad, but so that God gets glory. What could change in your home? What could change in your marriage if we began to lead the way in this? Look, may it be so with us today. As James would say, look, let's not just be hearers, let's be doers. Let's not just talk about it. Let's move and let's act upon it. God, this morning, we're so grateful for your word. It pierces, it divides, it hurts at times. We don't always like it, but it's true. It's the one thing in this world that is true. And God, we want to be people who lean upon it, who live for it, who are guided by it. People who don't, like James said earlier, like that we don't just hear it and leave and forget, but that we hear it and we act upon it and we live it out. And so God, may it be so with us, help us to deal with conflict biblically, to manage the conflict in our lives and to show not just our kids, but the world around us, the difference that you make in our lives and that your truth makes in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you worship one last time with us?